Hi there, I'm your host, Lisa Shield. Welcome to Dating Without Drama, where I give you my unique take on everything related to men, love, dating, and romantic relationships. Let's get started. I am so excited. This is Getting Inside the Right Male Mind. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. This man sitting next to me is really one of the men next to my husband, Benjamin, who I respect more than anyone. So nice. Yeah. Well, this is Warren Farrell, and he is the author of Why Men Are the Way They Are. And he also wrote a book recently with John Gray called The Boy Crisis. Mm-hmm. And both very timely books for their time, right? Really, really beautiful books for their time. And I'll talk about today why men are the way they are, because my audience, that is the book that pertains to my audience. But what is so incredible is that this book was a true paradigm shift for me. When I read it, I was not the same at the end of the book as I was Mm. when I started the book. It literally has, is it shifted my entire perception of men in a way that no other book that I've ever read. In fact, I wrote a glowing report, a review for you, Warren, on Amazon, just raving about the book because there's nothing else like it out there, nothing. The way that you talk about a man's journey, the way you get into what men go through in life and their struggles. And I know you came at this in a very unique way. So I'd love for you to share just a little about the book. And then we're going to talk about uh, the five male, five male vulnerabilities. And there may be more, but we're going to try to hit on five. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you can you talk a little bit about this book and how you came to write it? Yes, my background was um, with the feminist movement, and so I was deeply involved with, um, I was on the board of directors of the, of the National Organization for Women in New York City. And so I started speaking all around the world on women's issues. And um, then now was considering um, letting go of men because they felt that oftentimes in their once a month, they had consciousness raising groups and the consciousness raising groups, um, when they had men in them, oftentimes men would see that a woman had a problem and they'd start giving them advice. And they felt that this didn't give women just to talk, a chance to talk through their problems and to hear each other and work with each other and support each other. And so they were sort of fed up and, and they came to a compromise. And the compromise was um, that this guy, Warren Farrell, if he can um, start some men's groups and get the men to sort of really develop themselves and understand how they can best support women, then they would let men stay in and now. And so they did that and it worked really well. But I ended up starting 300 men's groups and some 200 and some odd women's groups. At the beginning, when I started the men's groups, um, when the men were talking, when I heard something that was what I thought of as sexist and not in conformity with what the women's movement was saying that they wanted, um, I would correct the men, and the men would usually uh, they would many some of the meetings were over at my home, and the men around ten o'clock in the evening would sort of you know leave, and then I started to listen a little bit, and the more I listened, the more I found that the men were opening up, and then I had a problem with my wife who at one in the morning uh, said um, yeah. I gotta get up the next morning. Please let's get the men out of here. Um, but I, I noticed how just listening to men made all the difference to them. And so then I started into integrating some of what the men were saying into my talks. And the um, and my standing ovations went from um, usually three or four speaking engagement referrals uh, down to three and then two and then one. The more, I, the more I incorporated some of what men were feeling and fearing. Uh, there was this sort of like, a, like you are doing here what you were supposed to be doing, which is telling men how they're off base and telling women how that wonderful they are, uh, which is basically what I was doing without even realizing. I was doing that for the first few years of speaking on these issues. Mm-hmm. And so, but then I started to realize that if I was going to be 
integrating the male perspective as well as the female perspective, never giving up the female perspective either, that this was not going to be nearly as successful a career for me. Well, and that, that really does bring us, Warren, to the subject at hand, because the revelation for me when I read your book was, wow, this is going on on both sides. Men are suffering equally as much as women are. And if we don't bridge that gap, if women do not develop the same level of compassion for men that we want men to have for us, we can't have what Benjamin and I call a guardian of your soul relationship. We can't have that. It has to be that both people's struggles are equally as important yeah. and, and equally as important to each other, yes, right? Yes. And you have to see that. So I'm curious, what are some of the main vulnerabilities that came forward as you were doing these workshops with men that you really feel women just are oblivious to? Because I was oblivious to these things. Now they're deeply ingrained in my heart and in my whole approach to men. But I was oblivious to these things. Can you, can, what would be a good one to start with? Well, there's, there's really a sort of an interlocking relationship between um, the fear of sexual rejection and the fear of emotional rejection and the fear of, uh, of failing um, in life and not being successful or not being recognized and honored as being successful. And so all three of those things really can't be separated. Um, so probably for biological reasons, I'm sure for biological reasons, almost every man that you're likely to be attracted to as a woman, if you're heterosexual, is um, a man who has his act together, who's you know reasonably successful, who's you know that type of thing. Well, the more successful he is, um, that that success he knows is very important for him to be liked and loved and respected by a woman. And so the effort that it takes to become successful is often inversely related to the effort that it takes to, to be successful in love. So, for example, to be a good CEO, when somebody comes in to make a presentation uh, that, he, that he's listening to, okay, is this the best person to buy from? Um, how much would I need? Do I have the infrastructure to support that? He's thinking a hundred different thoughts in his head to assess whether this is the right person to pay attention to and um, or and to pursue and to buy from. And so that's you know good for him in terms of being successful at work. But if he takes those same traits that he's beginning to develop and hone to become very successful at work, he takes them home and he's listening to his wife or his girlfriend. And while she's talking, he's thinking to himself, well, you know, what she, what I can advise her on is this. And then he interrupts her and, and it gives her a piece of advice. And she speaks another few sentences and he gives her another piece of advice and so on. Uh, because from his perspective, he's bringing all the things he's learned uh, to benefit her. But he doesn't realize that what she needs is just to be heard. And if he has children, what his children need first is to be heard um, and just to be listened to and drawn out. But from his perspective, not only the CEO mentality of success, but also we're biologically programmed to protect women, to be willing to die before a woman dies or is even significantly hurt. And so from his perspective, when she's complaining about something or something's the matter, this is like his wife or his girlfriend or the person he he holds so dear, she's bleeding to death. And my job is to get at Band-Aids and to put the Band-Aids on there to stop the bleeding. And anyone who would do anything less than that can't possibly say he's in love with her. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas from her perspective, it's like, please, would you just let me vent, talk things through, um, you know, and when I'm training and working with CEOs, really hard for them to understand this. And so I have to explain to them that you are solving the problem by listening. That is the solution. That is at least solution number one. So the big picture dilemma there is that here he is developing traits at work that make him successful to attract love, that traits that are going to disengage him from the love he wants. But it's so important for women to understand that this, you know, this sexual attraction, which men have at a level that almost no woman understands, even though every woman gets it to some degree, um, because you've been both a, a beneficiary of it and a victim of it at various points. This is probably part of the biology of the more successful the man, 
the more testosterone he has. The more successful he is, the more likely other things being equal that you are to be attracted to him. Um, and so he's attracted to you and pulls you in by his success. So what you admire about him is the success trait. And he's sort of talking about how good he is. That's his makeup. Um, you know, my male makeup is I'm Dr. Warren Farrell, best-selling author of, and my makeup is doctor and best-selling. And that's my makeup, meaning it's, it's what I use to make up the gap between the power I have and the power I'd like to have. And it's just like what women do in makeup is to make up the gap between the power they have and the power they'd like to have. Both sexes have, have makeup. And so the so very few women get the degree to which that the more successful the man, the more testosterone he has, the more the more likely he is to be addicted, addicted to female beauty and youth. And the female who is young and beautiful, she's watching as a rule for a man who is um, able to be have it financially together and that she can sort of do what she wants to do in life, whether that's to, have, to raise children, raise money, or do some combination of both, that's facilitated by that man who is successful. And so there's a deep, powerful attraction there that very few women realize that, that that feels like not sexual vulnerability because it manifests as um, the man coming on to you and making a comment that is, superficial or you know over the top or buying you drinks and then when you you know you're getting you've had enough no he plies you with a second another drink and it feels like oftentimes obnoxious and overbearing um, and you say no and he then tries to figure out a way around the no and what's the purpose of why is he doing that and what's what how do you buy into that uh, many women do buy into that because they instinctively know if you marry a man who stops at the first no, what type of salesman is he going to be? Uh, how can he, he support you? And so what you want is him, you saying no and then finding out how he handles the rejection. How does he handle the no? Does he handle it by backing off and giving you space? Does he handle it by coming on stronger? But unless you said no, you don't have a chance to gauge whether he handles no's well in life, whether he handles rejection in life. But all of this focuses the average woman on the male, males coming on to you or the male that you wish came on, would come on to you, not coming on to you. And that creates a lot of anger, hurt and vulnerability in the female. And it makes most females blind to another major misunderstanding, which is that when he's in a relationship with a woman and the relationship breaks up, he is more likely to experience depression and suicidal tendencies and go out and do compensatory behavior like drinking or go out and find another woman real quickly to make him feel better, uh, which only convinces the woman that he has no real attachment to her. But in fact, that is just compensation for the, the what's going on inside, which is a deep amount of hurt and pain and our inability as men to talk with each other about the pain of losing the person we love because we, we don't give each other time, we don't listen to each other very well on those issues. And so all of those things make most women miss the fact that uh, when men and women break up in a long-term relationship, any, anything more than just a few nights of sexuality, that men tend to be extremely vulnerable to the loss of love. And one of the reasons for that is because when a woman is really listening to us, they become the only person in our, our life yeah. that listens to us. Um, other men, even friends, uh, will listen for a minute or two and then sort of glaze over and say, well, you know, I, I guess it's eight o'clock now. The, the ball game is on. Why don't we watch the ball game and you know, distract each other through that? Well, and I really want to pause there for a sure. second, too, because it's really important that women understand how vulnerable men are when there is a breakup and they're cut off from that primary source of all of their emotional connection. And not only that, they wind up walking away feeling badly. They feel like they failed as a man. They may have been trying to make this woman happy and nothing could please her. Mm -hmm. And so it's just they're, they're getting emasculated, emasculated, mm -hmm. emasculated, and then they're cut off completely and they have no one to talk to and so they go out from what you're saying and they just find another woman they they but that's how instead of going to therapy like a woman would mm -hmm. right we or talking to talking to same-sex members like a right. woman will go out and talk to a, another woman and she'll say you know um 
very sorry that you're bro you know, breaking up. I really feel badly for you. I know this must hurt, but I want to tell you something about Jim. You know, when he was at a party, I saw him flirting with another woman, or, you know, I've always felt you, you know, you deserve something more than Jim. And, you know, this is just going to open up opportunities for you. I know, sweetie, you don't understand this now and get it now, but you'll feel better. You're really worthy of somebody more than him. Yeah. Men just don't do that for each other. <laughs> no, and I think a lot of women will then fall into this wounded man who seems emotionally available, mm -hmm. but he's really in a, in a weakened position. Mm -hmm. They come out of divorces, right? Mm -hmm. And they wind up, you know, you have these women who are rescuers and nurturers and caretakers. They find these men and they think, oh, he's emotionally available. Mm -hmm. And then the man gets back, back, you know, gets his, himself back together mm -hmm. and He's on. He wants to go out and experience his freedom. Yes, yes, exactly. And he doesn't want to be with the woman who saw him in that weakened position. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that true? Yes, sometimes yes, and sometimes no. If a woman is sort of like has a tendency to fall in love with a wounded man, it is usually she who will oftentimes start being with him on one level and then disconnecting him from, on a, from him on another level because very few women really want a long-term relationship with a man who is feeling weakened, uh, vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the you know, lowest lane. Um, did not fall in love with Clark Kent. She fell in love with Superman. And Clark Kent may have been able to express his feelings and his fears right. and stuff like that, but until he manifested as Superman, she had no interest in uh, him um, loving. And so uh, a woman will sometimes, um, if the man is really good looking and maybe she's um, had a desire for him before and when he was in another relationship and she's seen him in a strong position, she may be okay with him admitting weakness at the beginning. But if that is a long-term feeling, most women will distance from that. Mm -hmm. there, there are some women who have a low enough self-worth that they um, allow themselves to fall in love with somebody they can take care of. But then very mixed feelings usually come from that because women do not usually, uh, it's hard for a woman to respect a man who's in vulnerable position. And it's very difficult for a woman to fall in love with a man she doesn't respect. Yeah. The, the, another thing that I know just jumped out at me from, from why men are the way they are was when you were talking about how women will read self-help. We mm -hmm. read a lot of self-help stuff. Yes. And then we go to men and we want to tell you all the stuff you're not doing right. Mm -hmm. We want to tell you all of our knowledge and you know all of our self-help stuff, but we're not living it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about it. We're reading about it, but it's not like we live it. It's really up here. It's not integrated. Mm -hmm. And something that you said really jumped out at me that men respect men who do and don't talk about doing. Yes. And with the same with women, they respect women, you know, they would in turn respect women mm -hmm. who do and don't talk about what they're going to do. But one of the problems I think, or the disconnects is women like to talk a lot about stuff and not do. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's annoying for men. It, it is somewhat annoying for men. And first of all, the, the most important thing I think to understand is that men read self-help books too. They're called business books. And from, from, the, um, from the male point of view... I love when you do this. <laughs> something and just spin it. It's so incredible. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, and so, you know, when the man is, you know, reading a book on how to do better in business or how to make more money, uh, that is that is his self-help book. And it's also his romance book, meaning that he knows that if he makes more money, there'll be more women attracted to him. And therefore, there'll be more opportunities for love for him. But he's doing exactly the things that are oftentimes the opposite of what the woman is reading as to what a man should do from a self-help perspective. And this is why so often, as I was mentioning before, the qualities that it takes to succeed at work are often inversely related to the qualities it takes to succeed in love. And this is why it's so important that the sexes communicate with each other. And this is why I've been doing couples communication workshops for the past 30 years is because men and women 
just they look at life through their own perspectives and they see the other sex at fault and then he doesn't know what the woman needs because he spent all his life preparing to do something that he thinks the woman needs and she does need, which is sort of a respect for him and, and a certain amount of financial success. But at the heart level, he doesn't need uh, that only. And so he then oftentimes alienates the very people he is working for. So especially when when men have children, this is where you really see what I call the father's catch-22. Fathers learn to love their children and family by being away from the love of their children and family, often doing things that violate the core of what they want to do. So for example, I, I knew a guy who was a wonderful elementary school teacher. He lived for his younger younger kids. He was, in, he was one of the rare males that taught about fourth and fifth grade. Then he, had, he got married and he had children. Nothing changed when he got married. But the moment he had the first child, his wife wanted to spend a lot of time focusing on the children and maybe sending the child to a Waldorf type school. And so she was really devoted to the children. So she wanted to take off the first few years until, until her son went to school and take care of the child full time. He heard that desire, but that also meant that that income was lost and there was a new, there was a need for more money. And so he had to give up being an elementary school teacher and go into administration and become a principal. And then eventually he became a superintendent of schools. And what oftentimes we look at at a distance is, oh, there's more superintendents of schools who are men than there are superintendents of schools who are women. This is male privilege. In fact, from, the, from the, that dad's point of view, this wasn't it, male privilege would have been to stay as an elementary school teacher or male privilege would have been to stay home full time with his children. You might say, I wondered what percentage of men really want to stay home full time to be with the children. And I was really a little surprised when I read the most recent research of the Pew Research Center. And they asked men, um, if you had the option to work, these were only full time working men. Um, If you had the option as a full time working man to continue working full time or to be with your new child, uh, which would you prefer to, to be if it had to be full time with the children or full time work? And 49% of the men said, I prefer to be involved full-time with my work, but that would be irresponsible because my wife wants to be with the children. I'm sorry, full-time with the children is what I meant to say, Um, but that would be irresponsible because my wife wants to be with with our son or daughter, and I need to let her be that way, but that means I have to be that principal of the school or that um, so on. And and if you talk to many men and you ask them about you know, what type of glint did you have in your eyes? Um, if you ask a man, were you ever a musician? Did you ever play guitar? Did you ever have a fantasy of being a full-time musician? Or did you ever have a, fa- a fantasy of being a writer, an author, an actor? And many men will say yes. Um, when I was in high school, this, or when I was in college, that. And I was really good at this. I was really thinking maybe, but then I realized like, you know, when, when a child came along, that that was an irresponsible decision to make because I was not good enough to be in that upper one-tenth of one percent that would allow that would allow me to succeed in those areas of fulfillment. So for many men, when women are reading the self-help books of on fulfillment, they're saying fulfillment, you know, the jobs that pay the most are the least fulfilling. The jobs that pay the least are the most fulfilling jobs. That it's people who want fulfilling jobs. There's a lot of people that want fulfilling jobs. A lot of people that want to be musicians and so on. And so therefore those jobs can afford to pay very little because there's so many people who are competing for those jobs in relation to the number that, uh, of jobs that are available. And so men say, they say in the back of their mind, oh, this passion for doing, doing the work you love to do, that's very sweet and nice, but who's gonna take care of the kids? Who's gonna buy a home in a neighborhood with, that has good schools that cost more than a neighborhood that has poor schools? which is the more responsible thing to do. That is, that's the male mind on those issues in relation to the self-help books. Uh, but men, men don't read self-help books to be able to express things like that. And that's why I wrote Why Men Are The Way They Are in the Boy Crisis is to explain if you have a son or you have a brother that has a son, this is what's going on. This, this is the subtle messages that your son and daughter uh, will pick up about what's needed or wanted from either them or the other sex. Yeah, and Warren, something else that I remember from why men are the way that they, the way they are is that women want men to talk about, they want men to be emotionally available right. and talk about their you know, their vulnerabilities. But one of the things that was shocking to me was that you said, 
women don't really want to hear real male vulnerability. They don't want to hear, they want a therapist's version. They want a male therapist. They don't want to hear what a real man would say when he's being vulnerable, that I'm struggling at work. Mm-hmm. I I would love to have a free weekend to go and play and have sex with whoever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Or yes, your girlfriend is hot. Or mm-hmm. But women want to hear real male vulnerability. Yes. And so... I think sadly we wind up men wind up telling women what they want to hear or they just never go deep but then women feel like we're not really hearing the truth and we know it but we really don't want to hear it. Yes. yes. <laughs> the, the more a man loves a woman the more he's fearful of being completely honest with her because the more he's fearful of losing her love. So I want everybody to really take a moment and hear what Warren just said there, because that the more a man loves a woman, the more he doesn't want to tell her the truth because he's fearful of losing her love. Yes, yes. Well, so if you're, uh, if you're in love with a man and he's not saying to you, Oh man, that woman that just walked by in that bikini on the beach was really gorgeous. I, I really would love to have sex with her right away. Almost all men are emotionally intelligent enough to know that that's going to alienate the woman from him. And so therefore he keeps that feeling to himself. If he were to really go deep and say, you know, if, if I had met that woman and I had met you, I might have actually, you know, had been more interested in having sex with her than with you. He knows he, he's usually not so emotionally stupid has to know that <laughs> that would not be a good thing to That's say. Just, just, just as you know, just as you know, that if you were, you know, in a, at a party and you saw uh, Robert Redford was walking by, you know, 40 years ago, and it was 40 years ago, um, and, and and you said, boy, you know, if, if Robert Redford had come up to me before you came up to me, um, I would have, you know, really gotten a bit more interested in being with him than with you. You know that most men are not really that interested in hearing that information, so you probably keep those feelings to your But more subtly, um, the almost every man fears that at work, that he's not being promoted as quickly as somebody else. And he fears opening up his heart about that and saying, you know, I just wonder whether, you know, what I'm, what I am doing that is not allowing me to uh, be uh, promoted as quickly as somebody else. So he might say instead, oh, the boss is a real jerk, you know, that type of thing. And you sort of see through that and you say, well, you know, why don't you be accountable? And he's not being accountable, not that he isn't being accountable inside of himself, but he's afraid of revealing that internal accountability to you because that would come across as I'm feeling that maybe I'm not either emotionally as intelligent or I don't I don't master the IT work as fast as someone else or um, you know the, some version of that that he's fearing that you in the back of your mind are thinking hmm, this is not the type of man who's really going to go very far very fast and so uh, those are some examples of the internal vulnerabilities. The other thing that's really um, disheartening for a lot of women is that oftentimes women will be very observant about things that are not really right around the house, let's say. And um, he cleaned a few dishes, but he left a little bit of spaghetti sauce on the outside of the spaghetti pan, and he didn't even notice that. And so she says, you know, sweetie, you know, really nice if when you wash the dishes, you, um, you know, took the spaghetti sauce off or he goes out and he shops and he gets brings back 32 items. And, and you mentioned, well, gee, um, I like a, a, a gallon of milk better than a quart of milk because it really you know, saves money. And he's thinking to himself on some level, I picked up 32 items. The only thing that was uh, that was noticed was the one thing that I did wrong. And so that sort of like makes him feel, you, know, you might say that to a woman friend and she might say, okay, no problem. He becomes more vulnerable to criticism because he knows at some core level that women do um, they they don't fall in love and retain love for a man that screws up um, and so he's really starts becoming defensive about screwing up and maybe he gets into an argument about well, what's the difference between a quart and a half gallon the, the half gallon the quart fits into the refrigerator better and he's off into a big argument with you about something like that but what he's really saying underneath is when i feel criticized it takes away my desire to perform for you 
to to um, do things for you because I'm afraid it will only make me more of re- receive criticism about that one out of 32 things that I bought that were not exactly right. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. One of the profound things that you talked about in Why Men Are the Way They Are, and this speaks to the heart of male vulnerability, is that women have the same dream, their their dream and their what they what they really need in life mm-hmm. are the same. They they want the love, their dream is to have the love of one man mm-hmm. and their need is to have the mm-hmm. love of one man. Mm-hmm. But a man's dream is different than his need. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. A man does dream of having access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection, um, which is what pornography basically is. It's access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection. Uh, That's his dream, but he has no interest. His need is love. Um, and the, but the, you know, as I mentioned before, the things he does to get that need fulfilled are oftentimes the opposite of what gets that need fulfilled. Like focus on the success that leads to the contention with love, and so uh, that is really a core understanding to have if you want to understand men. And so when that man is off interested in some version of pornography, like you catch him looking at some beautiful woman walking by who's 15 years old, um, and you're sort of disgusted and um, and turned off at about 11 different levels. Uh, that's the, the fantasy for a second. That's the biological fantasy that's programmed into him. But if you were to ask him, who would you like to marry? And who would you like to have children with? It would not be that 15-year-old girl in the bikini that he just uh, had an experience with. So there's this enormous tension. And the more successful and powerful that man is, the more testosterone leads him to fantasizing for that 15-year-old that he would have no interest in marrying. But when he gets divorced, he is far, far more likely to commit suicide, to be deeply depressed. Men and women are going through family court situations. Um, 90% of the people who commit suicide, 90% of fathers um, going going through family court situations because they've lost their wife. They've often had their children alienated from them. The courts are often unresponsive to what they're saying. So they feel rejected at every core need level. I've, lo- I've lost everything I'm working for. The more successful he is, usually the harder he is working to get the love of his children. But the things that he's doing often make you think it's exactly the opposite he's interested in because, you know, it came to his daughter's recital. And where were you? Uh, we live in we live in New Jersey and you're off in Michigan pitching some company on something. That doesn't show me that you love the, the children. But he's, from his perspective, he was doing that to get you into the best home, the best neighborhood, the best school. That was his manifestation of his love for his children, but it doesn't really become very apparent very quickly. And, and he has to give up his fantasy to get his need, right? Yes. He has to he, give up he, his fantasy. The ethic of um, the United States and many cultures, not all cultures, is that um, in order to get your his primary need, which is love, from a woman, he needs to give up his primary fantasy, which is sexuality with a lot of different women without fear of rejection at a price he can afford. And it's important. One thing that women just don't understand, we feel entitled to monogamy. We feel entitled if a man is going to be with us, that that's how it needs to be. And we don't stop to appreciate how men are hardwired to want to have many women and that that is a fantasy for them. And Yes, they will give that up for the love of one woman, Mm -hmm. but also to understand that that's something that a man is giving up. It is something that he is giving up and his biological need, he is, men are wired to procreate, Mm -hmm. right? To spread their seed and have as many children Mm -hmm. as he can, so. What you just said is so important because So many men sense this, but almost no man can articulate it, uh, which is exactly what you just um, said. And and that is that here is a culture that is making it either illegal or immoral 
to have where man fantasizes. And so the cultural expectation is aligned with the female fantasy and not his fantasy. But he doesn't read self-help books like Why Men Are the Way They Are that even explain this to him. So it's happening inside of his head on some back back of the program level. And when, you know, after forming 300 men's groups and hearing these things over and over and over again, but only over and over again, when every single man in that group knew that everything that was said in that group was confidential. And even then, they didn't get in touch with their feelings because most men cut themselves off from their feelings because to express their feelings would get them less of what they want, which is love and, you know, and the appreciation of one woman. So they just don't even access things. Men are very bottom line oriented. And if the feelings are not gonna be able to be expressed, why get even in touch, why even get in touch with the feelings? And so we just disconnect from these feelings. A lot of things that I'm saying here, women have their parallel versions of, um, you know, and so, you know, no, no woman feels completely understood by almost anybody. And one of the things in the couples workshops I've really come to understand is that really just about nobody feels understood by anyone. But the reason we have to drag men to the couples workshops while the women are willing to go very frequently is because the man's experience in expressing his feelings are that it never turns out well. Um, and so the couples workshops are designed to create an ability of the person who's feeling criticized to be able to hear personal criticism without feeling defensive. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. And I also think it's important knowing that cult, that our society, you know, this Judeo-Christian ethic, that we support the woman's view when it comes to monogamy and sexuality mm-hmm. and not to make it wrong that's lovely to have a committed couple, a monogamous couple, but also for women to understand that men are hardwired mm-hmm. to, to have multiple partners and just to take a moment and appreciate the magnitude of what it means to your partner, the man that you love, that he would give that up for you. Yes. That it's not something you are entitled to, but that a man who loves you enough and wants your love in return will give that up for you. And that would be a beautiful thing as women if we could just take a breath and appreciate that. Yes. You yes. know, and really acknowledge our men for doing that. And the acknowledgement is so crucial to, to men. We want to, you know, we will do anything that we feel we are needed for, to, just to make really clear that statement. Um, every generation had its war. And when Uncle Sam, when their posters put up saying, Uncle Sam needs you, the response of men is, oh, if we're needed, then I'll be willing to join the services and be willing to die because I'm now needed for a good cause. And so that is, um, so men who feel needed and appreciated, by appreciated, I mean, we're called hero. And so hero is a social bribe to get a man to be willing to be disposable in exchange for an appreciation being called hero. So if you really get that, and if there's any part of what I'm, this interview that you replay, just replay maybe that part, of understanding that the, the need that men have for being appreciated is so deep that when we're told we're needed and we're appreciated, the equivalent, the word to associate with appreciation is being called hero, the social bribe that men get, the knowledge that a woman falls in love with the officer and a gentleman. She does not fall in love with the pacifist and the um, <laughs> um, and you know and, and so on. And so you have to know that when you're saying to a man what you appreciate, I really appreciate that you're giving up your fantasy to look at a lot of other women and to to have sex with them. And you're exchanging that because you love me so much. It'll allow you to feel how deeply loved you are. It will allow him to feel appreciated. And if he feels appreciated, uh, as in being called hero, he is going to be willing to do anything for you. And the great majority of men, that is about 95% of men in the couples communication workshops. Now, remember, in the couples communication workshops, about a third of the men and women are there with the thought of possibly getting divorced. About a third of them are there to just improve their marriage. And another third are there with really good marriages that really want to make it even, even better. And so with a third of the men there 
who are, and, and the women there who are considering a divorce. Nevertheless, 95% of men write down on a piece of paper that, that their partner will never see, uh, that they would be willing to risk their life to die for their partner if she was in jeopardy, that they would be willing to, to risk their life at the 50% level if their partner's life was in jeopardy. So, and again, many of those men were actually considering divorce, but yet still have enough love and caring and protective instinct to their partner that they would be willing to Amazing. take a 50% chance of risking their life and dying. That's, inc that's incredible. Um, yeah, I think there's such a misunderstanding that real men don't need to be appreciated or acknowledged or, you know, and yet, all we see are superhero movies. <laughs> and, you know, it's crazy. And if women really need to understand that a phone call after a date, just saying, hey, you, you know, I love that you chose such a wonderful restaurant. It seems that you put such thought into that and you were such a gentleman. I really loved your company. Anything, but men will eat that up. The right men are going to really love that a woman who's acknowledging and appreciative. So many women today are in the business world mm -hmm. and men have lost, I think in a lot of ways, that feeling of being needed by mm -hmm. women. And that's a very sad thing because women are so proud of being self-sufficient and mm -hmm. independent. Mm -hmm. And it's been, we, we're paying a high price for it. Yes. And mm -hmm. I think men are paying a high price for that. There, there are so many lonely men and women. And there are so many women who, um, you know, 53% of women under 30 who have children have children without being married. Overall, 40% of women who have children have children without being married. Well, these women aren't, if you talk to these women, a great many of them say, well, I just didn't find the right man and I didn't want to you know, prostitute myself with the wrong man you know, to have a child and I'm running out of time. <laughs> and um, so I'm having a child and I know this is not my ideal to raise a child without a man's help. And I, I'm overwhelmed every day. The word she uses most frequently is the word overwhelmed, but she oftentimes just doesn't feel that she's that communication is really good enough with any given man she's met. So that's really why I started the couples communication workshop is that almost no man or woman understands each other. However, it's not a male female thing only. In my couples workshops, I have about you know um, the number of many, many couples who have been gay come into the workshops. They have the exact same understandings <laughs> as the straight, straight couples. So this is not unique to heterosexuality. And and the same thing, a number of them are um, mothers or fathers who coming are coming there with their sons and their daughters. Same basic misunderstandings between the parents and the children as there is between, you know, they're, they're, they're not around sexuality issues, but, you know, they're around misunderstanding issues, different ways of looking at the world. You know, you, you punished me for this mom and that was such a stupid thing to do and having no idea, not seeing it, that the mother is, you know, that punishment hurt the mother more than it did the child from the mother's perspective, yeah. you know, and um, and so when they walk out of there, it's really hearing their other, the other person's point of view. It's like, wow. I do, I feel loved in a way that I never understood that I felt before. The one thing I'll, I'll share here is that the one gift of COVID in my life is was that it gave me a chance to put a, this couples communication workshop on Zoom. And if you're know if you interested in knowing more about it, email me at warren at warrenferrell.com or just look up warrenferrell.com. You'll get my website and then um, I'll give you more information on it. But the, you know, the, now uh, the couples communication course is available for a fraction of what it would have cost to actually you know, take it. Awesome. That's fabulous. Um, Warren, the last one that I really want to talk about, another thing that you mentioned in the uh, book was about how many men, by and large, are the ones who initiate sex. I know as a woman, I am so grateful for that because I couldn't even imagine what men go through when they're on a date and they have to make those moves on a woman. Mm -hmm. It must be agonizing for very many men. Mm -hmm. The ones who are not like, haven't just decided that it's a sport and a yeah. game and all, but good men and, and any man who's really wanting to win the affection and the love of a woman, that has got to be agonizing to do that. Can you please talk about that? 
I used to explain this a lot when I was talking, um, I w when I was on the board of DAO, I explained this intellectually. And I realized that neither sex could understand each other from my inter intellectual expl explanations. They did at the moment, but a year or two later, when I would come back to the same campus to speak again, uh, they would often say, um, I would ask, I would press them about what they really got out of it. And it was just sort of like minimal. Uh, so I started to do role reversal dates in men's beauty contests. And I said, Every and I said, guys, if you're here to understand women, how many are here to understand women? Oh, all right, I am. Um, and so I said, all right, if you're here to understand women, understand that one aspect of being female is that every woman is in a beauty contest every day of her life. Whether she's attractive or unattractive, she's in that beauty contest. She's just in different positions in that contest. So I'd have every man in the room um, come up and on the stage and fill the aisles, et cetera, um, to uh, be in the beauty contest of everyday life that women go through. At the end of the beauty contest, there were sort of uh, six finalists. And then afterwards, I processed the information that the, that the finalists um, were experiencing or what, what was going on in their heads. And guy after guy would often say things like, it's a weird, you know, I feel like I've spent the last hour and 20 minutes trying to prove to every woman here that I'm the best looking guy in the, in the room. And now that I've been chosen the best looking guy in the room, I'm feeling kind of angry that I wasn't appreciated for my intelligence, my values, my, you know, my, my way of being, my compassion, my caring, you know, everything that's really important that I spent my whole life working on. It's all gone. And what have I done? And I got to admit that I spent the last hour and 20 minutes focusing on the exact thing I got focused on for. And then when we go, yes, thank God. Thank you for understanding this. So I'd say, remember, this is a, a role reversal date in a men's beauty contest. I'm asking both sexes to walk a mile on each other's pockets. And then we'll go, really? And, yeah. and so I'm now asking the I'm working on the women to really focus on making believe they're addicted to the man who's the best looking man in the room and to go up and ask that man out. Don't back off, don't chicken out and go to choice number two, three or 10 or 20 that, will, that you think will accept you. But go to the guy you're really most attracted to that you could really feel some energy for. I really have to work very hard to get the women to do that. And then I would also um, get the men to say that, you know, I, I'd have the women all to beat up in the audience by how much money they believed that they would be making five or 10 years after graduation. And the women making the least amount of money uh, would be sitting in the back rows. The women likely to be making the most money, the future physician or whatever, uh, would be sitting in the front rows. Then I'd work with the men to realize that your obligation is to make sure you don't fall in love with the woman in the back row that will be making very little money because your job is to make sure you have options for your children and, um, and to think of somebody besides yourself. So do not allow yourself to fall in love with the woman in the back row, even if you're, you're feeling more energy for her. The men were really just at me. <laughs> and so the um so that then the uh, i would say to the women okay go down come on up and the women would ask their you know some of the women uh, would ask compete for their first choice man so that usually meant like in a group of hundreds of women and men uh, that there were maybe eight nine women competing for one the best looking man and, and most of the finalists and so afterwards the processing of this um the women would say some version of Time in my life to say when I've used the word jerk, that's gender neutral, I suppose, but it always in reality referred to a man. Well, tonight I was the jerk. Wow. When I came up to that guy and I saw that there were other women that were going to be for sure get him better than I did, I literally said, I want to pick you up in my Porsche tonight. I don't even have any. Blue, being anywhere close to you. I don't even know what a Porsche costs. I just knew I can't afford one. Um, I'm going to pick you up my Porsche tonight and take you some to some restaurant. Now, I named, I named some restaurant I've never been to, I can't afford, but I remember somebody, my uncle, rich uncle, um, telling me about this most wonderful restaurant. And then, worse, worse yet, I started to see that the guy was interested, um, but I still wasn't you know, better than the top three or four women. And I so finally, I took that guy by his arm and I pulled him away from the other guy. And I said, just a minute, I just want to explain a little bit about myself to you. 
And he said, well, if a guy had done that to me, I just pulled me away physically. I would have called that, you know, today I would have called it sexual harassment, uh, but it was, you know, it was clearly, I would call him a jerk. And the guys would just go, thank you, thank you. So that my, my being that jerk came from vulnerability and that so much of male behavior, um, you know, being often the jerk comes from trying to not underneath uh, be rejected by you. Amazing. Amazing. Oh my gosh, Warren, we could go on and on. I love just getting inside your mind. And this is why I created this, this you know, to have these conversations with real men who can talk about real male feelings and real things that men are going through, the struggles men have, their hearts. And there are so few men that can do that. You're one of them, just one of the great. So I am so grateful to you. I'm grateful to call you a friend. I'm grateful to have you in my life. And I'm just grateful to share you with all of these beautiful women here on this call. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. Mm -hmm. Truly, it's such a gift. Lisa, truly, the gift is you you are exposing women to male vulnerability and as a result of that allowing them to open up the door to really knowing men yeah. and to not just getting married but to really having intimacy and, and love in their life like almost every human being that i know wants yeah well i want to humanize male female relationships and make it person to person not woman and man, not exclusively woman and man, but person to person, understanding that we both have struggles and challenges and deep wounds and vulnerabilities, and that it's happening on both sides. Mm -hmm. And if we can just make room for both people to bring all of ourselves to the relationship fully without apology or shame and make room for that and understand and not feel threatened, mm -hmm. not feel threatened. You know, men are threatened also by women and things that we share and things that we say and do as well. So yeah, it's, it's bringing that understanding, bridging that gap between men and women. So thank you for being here. Thank you for carrying us. <laughs> to make this happen. Thanks, Lauren. And thank you to everybody who joined us today. We, I do these every, every Sunday with my husband, Benjamin, at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. So please come back and join us. This is Getting Inside the Right Male Mind. My special guest was Dr. Warren Farrell. 